you can throw in an illustration about domestic abuse at some point in a in a application section coming up. You can talk about the fact that you've listened to an FIEC podcast. You can um, say that you've read a book recently, whatever book that might be, that has touched on the subject. Just drip feeding in little bits of information where you think, I'm just going to show this person that I am aware of domestic abuse, that I'm compassionate towards those that are being abused, and I'm willing to walk alongside those who are hurting. Welcome to Independence, the FIC podcast. I'm Eleanor McGowan, and together with my colleague, Rachel Sloan, we serve with FIC as Directors for Women in Ministry. We're delighted to have Helen Thorne with us today. Helen, you're most welcome. Helen, could you tell us what you do, what your work is, and what does your ministry look like at the moment? For the majority of my time, uh, I work for Biblical Counselling UK. I'm their Director of Training and Resources, which means I get to spend a couple of days a week sat at my desk writing books or blog posts or other resources. And a couple of days a week, travelling around Britain, speaking at conferences, churches, conventions, evangelistic events, uh, whatever is needed. I also do a little bit of work for Crosslands Training. I'm their women's, women, I'm their women in ministry advisor, uh, and I'm very active in my local church in Southwest London, where I'm part of the pastoral care team alongside the pastors and the women's worker there. Lovely. Good. Well, we're keen to explore the subject of domestic abuse together. And the pandemic brought this issue onto our radar in a new way. Lockdown meant for those in abusive relationships, help wasn't at hand in quite the way it had been before. Tensions were high anyway. And escape from a difficult um, environment wasn't possible even for a number of hours. We all have different pictures in our minds when it comes to domestic abuse. They may be personal trauma. They could be pictures that we've seen on TV or films, or they could be marks that we've noticed on a friend's arm or face that aren't easily explained. Helen, can you share with us what is domestic abuse so we know what we're talking about? Thank you. Uh, domestic abuse is abuse uh, in uh, intimate relationships or, or personal relationships between people who are 16 or over. That could be between a uh, husband and wife, uh, a civil partnership, an adult parent and adult children, uh, between elderly parents uh, and adult children. It could be uh, people that were used to be in a relationship with one another but are now living apart. It can encompass any number of incidents, whether that's one or more, of coercive control, uh, threatening behaviour, uh, violence or other kinds of abuse, which might be physical or emotional, sexual, financial. Uh, and it can also include things like online abuse, honour killings, female genital mutilation uh, and forced marriage as well. So it's actually very wide mm. in its scope, but it is for those 16 and above, although children are now noted as uh, victims of domestic abuse uh, within uh, that wider definition. Mm. It's a really serious subject that we're talking about um, and I wonder if you think perhaps are there times when we're a bit naive about the subject of domestic abuses in church circles? 
I think as churches, we've done a lot of growing over the last couple of decades, and I'm far more encouraged now than I was a little while ago. Uh, and I think now, certainly when it comes to physical abuse, I think there's almost universal acknowledgement that that is just not okay. Uh, and that needs to be dealt with with seriousness uh, in accordance uh, with the law. But I think we do still struggle in, in other areas as well. I think sometimes, well, when it comes to sexual abuse, I think we're just probably not having those conversations within the church very often. Um, I certainly don't talk a lot uh, to my married friends about how things are going in the bedroom. Uh, and often I don't think those conversations are, are really happening in ways that would enable people to, to disclose that kind of struggle. And I think also we can sometimes be a little unaware about how some of the dynamics of abuse actually takes place. We can see strong leadership uh, as such a good thing that we forget that actually it can uh, be turned in, in in deeply, deeply threatening and ungodly ways. I think we can be naive to the fact that uh, if someone just says something very quickly, like, oh, yes, I remember last Saturday, that doesn't sound threatening to us. But to someone that was severely hurt and harmed last Saturday, that is uh, very, very controlling and coercive. And I think we can forget how easy it is to control uh, in plain sight and for people not to see that control because they're not seeing the wider picture. And so some of those nuances, I think, can get forgotten. And I suspect that we often forget that men can be subject to abuse as well as women. I mean, it, the statistics do show us that the majority of those abused in the home are women, but men are not immune and that can easily fly under the radar. Helen, you've written a book which is a great resource. Um, it's entitled Walking with Domestic Abuse Sufferers. It's very practical. It's very insightful. It was published by IVP in 2018. Can you tell us why you wrote the book? And is there anything you'd want to add to it in the light of the last few years? Thank you. The book really flowed out of the people I was seeing in a more pastoral setting, uh, whether that's at church or within work or uh, just wider conversations with friends. And I was really struck by the fact that at that stage, there wasn't a simple what we can do as churches kind of book. In America, there were some really good books coming on the market, which helped us understand the dynamics of abuse. And of course, there's always been lots of secular books around, well, the last few decades there have at least. But that simple, actually, I'm a church. I, I, I don't really know what I'm doing. I just want something to walk me through this really slowly. That, that wasn't there. Uh, and so I thought, well, someone needs to write it. Uh, so why not uh, be the person that gets on and does that? Since then, the law has changed a little bit uh, and in really uh, ways that are really hopeful and good. Uh, the law in the UK now has uh, been rewritten uh, so that children are now victims in their own right uh, in domestic abuse cases. Uh, we have lost the excuse of, oh, it was just rough sex, which used to be the way that quite a lot of people got away with abusing people. No, not allowed to say that anymore, not allowed to use that as a defence. There is a sense in which uh, we are encouraged now that local authorities now have a statutory right to house those that are fleeing from domestic abuse. And that's a, a wonderful thing. And there are new offences that have been brought in, uh, things like um, post-relationship uh, coercive control is now known to be uh, a crime, whereas before you had to be in the relationship 
Uh, now it's acknowledged that even after the relationship is over, uh, sometimes one party will continue to try and exercise control over the other. Uh, and things like uh, non-fatal strangulation uh, has also become uh, something that's specifically mentioned in the law. I mean, there are uh, lots of other things that have happened in 2021 when that new legislation came in as well. But I think they're some of the big things uh, that are uh, more recent developments that are, are greatly encouraging in Britain today. It's very positive that these things are now on the statute book and are being followed through, isn't it? Um, it also points to the fact that we need to be aware and need to be able to access legal advice, specialist help. What facts are important to bear in mind when we're thinking about domestic abuse in churches? You've already mentioned that men and women can be victims. Um, what other things? I think on a practical level, um, remembering how hidden this crime is. Um, it's not like you can walk into church or walk around your community and spot the abuser. I mean, very occasionally you can, but usually there's, there's really very few signs and symptoms. Uh, and so actually discovering that the abuser is actually someone that you liked and respected and maybe still do respect uh, is something that we have to grapple with in churches. I think remembering that actually God is most honoured when dark things are brought into the light rather than covered up is a really important thing for us to be remembering. Sometimes, not so much these days, but occasionally you still hear, oh, I know it was wrong what they did. It was very wrong what they did. But, you know, the work of the church must continue. The gospel mustn't be brought into disrepute. We'll just we'll just keep it quiet. We'll deal with it. Uh, and actually keeping sin covered up brings the gospel into disrepute. Uh, bringing dark things into the light and pursuing justice and repentance, that, that doesn't bring the gospel into disrepute. And so actually remembering things like that. Uh, is really important to remembering that actually how we treat image bearers is important. Um, I don't read the book of Amos very often, but when I do, I'm always struck by um, some of the chapters which remind us how angry God is when precious image bearers are treated like objects. Uh, and therefore, having that high in our minds going, actually, if, if someone in our congregation, in our family, is being treated like an object rather than an image bearer, then God is feeling passionate about that. And if we are being Christ-like, we are going to feel passionate about that as well and want to do something about it. Of course, we'll also want to be very familiar with our safeguarding policies and procedures because this is a complex area and we want to be working collaboratively with the experts rather than making decisions by ourselves. I guess there are so many other things to remember, aren't there? About remembering that if there are children involved, it's a mandatory safeguarding situation. About remembering that if abuse is disclosed, you don't just wander around and confront the abuser. That would always be a dangerous thing to do. About uh, remembering that actually marriage counselling is not a great idea. In fact, it's a really bad idea in an abusive situation because people will just take what is said in that counselling situation and one will use it against the other. It's about churches remembering uh, that if you've got someone in your congregation fleeing abuse, that not putting stuff on social media about where they're going to be is really important. I mean, there, there's a massive amount out there, but they're just a few things that spring to mind. Mm -hmm. And we want our churches to be, as you describe in your book, communities of hope, places where help can be given, the right kind of um, support given. 
Rachel, in your experience, um, how have you seen a church being a community of hope? Well, I think in some ways doing what we're doing today is going to help with that. So actually to become a community of hope, you need to be aware of what domestic abuse is. And we can't be naive and think that it doesn't happen in our churches because we know the people who are in it and we wouldn't think that anyone is involved in that or doing that or experiencing that. And so the first step to be that way is to grow in understanding um, and to grow in talking about it as well. So making it something where someone is free to share um, to free, free, and knows who to talk to as well, and know who the, the safe person is within the church community, where they can go and share that they're experiencing this, um, and know that within the church that they know, as you've shared, Helen, what the the right procedures are, what the right policies are, um, know how to get help for people, where to direct them in terms of support in the wider community. Um, and know how important it is, like you said, not to keep these things hidden um, and deal with them inside internally, because actually that never gets them done right and actually brings much more damage to those people who are experiencing this. And so I think a community of hope is one where there is openness, there is realism that this could be happening, um, and when there's clear procedures that are in place um, so people know what to do, um, and also then that there is training and for the women um, and the men within the church to recognise this and um, to know how to support people. I think that's a really helpful point that you made that, you know, marriage counselling isn't the best thing that we could offer for these people. So what is the best thing that we can be offering? How should we be dealing with this? Um, and again, above all, knowing that we have a God who understands, who cares um, and wants people who are suffering in this way to have justice done for them, to be supported and to be free from their situation, um, I think is really important as well. We really want to be able to prioritise this as an area for women in ministry, ministry wives, um, other women in the church who are gifted and equipped to be aware of. Um, we've already touched on why that's so important. But perhaps there is something to be said and commented on. Why women in particular? Rachel or Helen? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think, like we said, and it, you know, I think it is important to say again, because it happens, because people will be experiencing this within our churches. Um, and so, and we have a God who cares about those who suffer and those who suffer at the hands of others. And he says, it's not okay. And so we too should say it's not okay. And we want to be able to deal with that in the most God honoring way and in the way that protects those who are the most vulnerable. And so if we don't know how to do that, then we're at danger of making situations worse. And we don't want to do that through our own naivety and lack of understanding. Um, and because again, as the statistics show, often it is the women who are the most likely, but not always the victims of this. And so however long we will be in ministry, the chances are that we will meet someone, um, if not more than one person who will be experiencing this. And so actually, I think that's why it's such an important issue for us to, to have, um, to be aware of and to be equipped to deal with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Helen, anything to add on that? Yeah, it's a great answer. 
Um, I think as women, we're likely to be talking about these things. Uh, we're likely to have the relationships with people uh, where mm-hmm. they might share those things. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we just want to walk that path wisely and well, don't we? Yeah, nothing further to add. And I guess the other side of it is we may not encounter it regularly within our churches, but we also want to equip the women in our churches to know how to deal with it if their um, friends or neighbours are experiencing this as well. Because again, we know that it's ultimately God who's going to give hope to people who are in this situation. And so if an unbelieving neighbour is experiencing this, how do we best support them? What can we do? And how can we also help them to, I guess, see that God can help them too? even though they don't yet know him. So Helen, what would you say, um, or what advice would you give uh, to a woman in ministry or a woman in the church if she suspects that there is abuse going on? Um, Maybe what warning signs she should be aware of? The signs are really hard to spot. And I think one of the uh, most Uh, difficult to handle aspects of working and walking alongside people who have been abused is that sense of why didn't I notice it beforehand? Mm -hmm. Um, And the reality is most of the time it's so well hidden that pretty much no one could have noticed it. There can be some signs. Obviously, there can be some unexplained injuries, but people that abuse are very good at only causing bruises where they can't be seen. There can be a sense that someone that is being abused is very quick to apologize, often has a very low self-image. They'll think of themselves as worthless. They'll be quite compliant, uh, obedient, uh, panic maybe if they do something that they consider to be wrong. I remember one lady, uh, I first got an inkling that there was abuse going on in the home when uh, they dropped a cup at church and it smashed. Now, anyone that knows me, that is, I drop cups at church all the time. I'm (laughs) renowned for dropping cups at church. Uh, But this lady, um, whereas I would just go, oh, no, not again, giggle and then clear it up and say sorry. Um, This woman was like, I am so sorry. I'm sorry. It it was just a panic. It was just a huge thing for her. And she felt that she had brought the church into disrepute, that everyone was going to hate her. Uh, And some people were just going, it's just a cup. But those of us that work in the field a little bit more would like, let's think about why she might be so worried and so panic stricken about having done something so normal and fallible. So there can be things like that. You'll often find that people will be good at praying for others, but not good at praying for themselves because they don't feel that they're worthy of any prayer. You might find that they are people that can't be spontaneous because uh, the restrictions on them are so big that they can't just pop around or have you round. Uh, everything will need to be planned. You might find that uh, they are very, very well presented, never, never anything out of place because they are covering up uh, so much. But there's no hard and fast rules. Everyone uh, is so very different. But I think if, if you suspect anything, the first thing to do is always pray because, oh, we need God's wisdom in times like this. We really need his help and his strength. Uh, the second thing is to, to just make a safeguarding note within your church. That's not a, this is an abuse situation, therefore we must act. This is a, I'm starting to see things that are concerning me. And if you log that with your safeguarding officer, uh, then the, your safeguarding officer can just look at the wider picture because maybe somebody else has logged something that's just concerning them a little bit. And that helps build up the wider picture. Of course, you can uh, go to that person and ask how things are. The chances are they're not going to tell you on that first conversation. But the fact that you've started 
opening up a conversation and showing that you genuinely want to know how they're doing uh, is something that they might respond to later on. You can, uh, in the Bible study that you've got coming up, maybe if they're part of your Bible study group, you can throw in an illustration about domestic abuse at some point in a in a application section coming up. You can talk about the fact that you've listened to an FIEC podcast. You can um, say that you've read a book recently, whatever book that might be, that has touched on the subject. Just drip feeding in little bits of information where you think, I'm just going to show this person that I am aware of domestic abuse, that I'm compassionate towards those that are being abused, and I'm willing to walk alongside those who are hurting. Obviously, if there's you know quite a lot of evidence uh, of, of abuse uh, and there are children, that may end up being a mandatory reporting situation. But again, just talk to your safeguarding officer. The important thing is in, in cases of domestic abuse, unless you're calling 999, you're very unlikely to go making any decisions by yourself. Be talking to your safeguarding officer. They will probably be seeking advice from their safeguarding providers um, who are supporting that church. It all needs to be done very collaboratively. Give the people that can make the decisions information and make the decisions together. And of course, wherever possible, involving the person that is potentially being abused as well. Uh, because what we don't want to be is the next person that controls them by making decisions for them. We always want to be bringing them into the conversation whenever we can be. But if there are children involved, sometimes we do have to get a little bit of help, uh, whatever their views. You've already started to um, take us through steps that perhaps we, we would need to go through, um, either suspecting or if a disclosure is made. And in your book, you have a very helpful flowchart um, that goes through what to do when a di disclosure is made. I wonder if you could talk us through it, because I think that would be really helpful. It's on page 113, isn't it, of your book? Yeah, Yeah, that's right. And one of the most important questions to ask uh, right at the start of a disclosure is, is there anyone vulnerable involved in this situation? Now, that might be other children involved. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily mean other children being physically hurt. It's other children in that environment. Because studies have shown that children in a domestic abuse environment, even if they've not been physically harmed themselves, have massive emotional struggles as a result of just being in that controlling environment. And so it's really important that, that children uh, get help. Similarly, there might be an adult in there that doesn't have capacity to make decisions by themselves. They would be classified as vulnerable as well. And so just look at who's there. Uh, and if there are any of those kind of vulnerable categories there, then it's really important that we liaise with the secular services uh, straight away. It's, you know, talk to the person involved, give them options about which person is um, approached first. Um, there are multi-agency safeguarding hubs in, in all areas. Uh, and therefore, you know, there's, there's a choice about whether you go and see uh, social services or whether you talk to victim support or, or, or whether you talk to your GP or, or go to the school, you know, the, whoever you feel most comfortable with. But if, if there is a need, a mandatory uh, requirement to act, then we need to act. But, but setting that aside for one moment, the big question is, is it safe for that person to go home today? Now, if it's not, uh, there might be police involvement at that point. There might be housing involvement, getting somebody to a refuge. 
if it is um, the kind of domestic abuse, which I mean, all domestic abuse is really serious, uh, but there is some that is not life threatening. There is some that you can take a little bit longer to make the decisions uh, and therefore uh, asking somebody what they need uh, from us is a, a good next step. Uh, are they able to go home if they are? What follow up meetings do we want to plan? Do we want to be thinking about um, them having some respite, maybe going away for a few days to get a little bit of a break? Do we want to be talking with them about um, what their options are? Just phoning up the domestic abuse, uh, domestic abuse hotline, uh, the national helpline that is available uh, to everybody, it's just so they can get information about what their options are. Do we want to be praying with them? Do we want to be talking to them about how God uh, wants uh, wants us to view abuse? Uh, do we want to be talking to them about uh, their identity in Christ and how loved they are, uh, which th might be something that's very much out of view? And so you'll be want to be working through stages. First of all, looking at other children involved. Secondly, looking at a risk assessment. Is there any risk to life? Uh, and then thirdly, uh, if there are aren't any children involved, if there's not a serious risk to life instantly, then actually just looking at what that person wants, um, how they can um, get the help that they need to make the decisions that they're going to need to make in the coming weeks. And of course, along the way, because these will be safe safeguarding matters, you know, keeping contemporaneous notes, writing those notes up and giving them to the safeguarding officer will be important too. Thank you so much. Yeah. Perhaps you could just give us a little bit of an insight into the questions a victim of abuse could be asking of God and how we can walk alongside somebody in that situation. And the number of questions uh, is probably equal to the number of people. Um, everyone's going to be asking something different and it will link very, very strongly to the kind of abuse that they've experienced and how long that abuse has gone on for. For a lot of people, there will be a question about, is God good? Uh, has he sent that abuse? If he's sovereign over all things, does that mean he's sovereign over sending the abuse to them? If they've had the kind of abuse where maybe someone in the home has used Bible verses to justify the abuse, to actually say, you must submit, you must bear with me, you must do as I say, all those kind of twistings and perversions of scripture then they will be very confused about whether God is condoning that abuse. They might think that God hates them, that God is disappointed with them, that God um, is angry with them. Uh, those are very common things. Uh, and they might feel that they are worthless. Uh, and I'm not just talking about the fact that we need to be humble because we're not God. Uh, they will feel like trash, some women. Mm -hmm. In the book, I, I write about one lovely lady that I had the privilege of walking alongside. And I asked her how she was feeling. And she said, if your house was on fire, what would you run in and save? And I thought about it for a moment and I just kind of went, well, my cat and maybe, you know, my mum's my mom's rings, they have lots of sentimental value. And she said, would you run in and save the trash? I thought, well, no, I mean, I can be pretty sure of all the things I would run in and save my house. It would not be the what's in the bin. And she said, well, now you know how I feel worthless, useless, in great danger, and no one's going to come and help me. And if that's how people are feeling about themselves and the world in which they live, it's important for us to be saying that God is active and God loves and God God cares. Um, and, and God is a, a God of rescue, a God of justice, a God of holiness. So I hope people will tease through those questions. 
Of course, there were potentially other big questions about things like, is it okay to leave my husband if this is a a family relationship? Or how do I honor a parent that's abusive? Do I just walk away at that point? Or is there some other way I can work through what that means? And all of those things are desperately hard. Is God disappointed in me? Is this my fault? Have I failed? And of course, those are all massive questions. Uh, and they're not easy to work through. And I certainly can't give sort of 30 second answers to those questions on a podcast like this. But allowing people to ask those questions and helping people work through them slowly is really important. I think one one final thing to say on that is when we're helping people work through those big questions, we need to think about how the Bible has been used or if the Bible has been used as part of that abuse. I've walked alongside a, a number of people um, who've grown up in families where, well, it looks godly on the outside. The people look like uh, people who are upright in the church. But actually what's been going on behind closed doors is that uh, punishment includes being forced to memorize Bible verses. Punishment includes being physically beaten with a Bible. Punishment includes uh, being made to stand and hear horrible things misquoted from God's word. It means being subjected to prayer after prayer of, Lord, please forgive my terrible family. Uh, Please change them. You know the depravity of their hearts. You know what a disappointment and a failure that they are to you. And I think it's important for us to remember if someone has been through years of that, us opening scripture with them and us praying with them is going to feel utterly terrifying. And so sometimes as Christians, whilst we always want God's word to be central, sometimes we're going to have to be a little bit creative about how we do that. Maybe not physically opening the Bible, which might be terrifying. Maybe doing a more inductive rather than a deductive kind of study as we explore things together gently rather than teach what is true. Uh, And just being really sensitive to that dynamic can make the world of difference between somebody actually beginning to see God and themselves as they truly are or continuing to be scared by the God that just feels pretty terrifying right now. I think you've given us a really sensitive insight into how a woman might be feeling and the questions that they might be asking and how we not only need to walk with them, but we need to sit with them and we need to weep with those who weep. And by our very presence and our commitment, we are evidencing the love of the Lord to them. Helen, it's three of us women um, chatting today. Um, If we want pastors, we want church leaders to be listening to this podcast too. Perhaps we can just close by saying if there are pastors watching this podcast, what would you want to communicate to them? They've listened to the whole podcast, we trust, so they've been able to take on board lots of what we've said. But yeah, what would you say? A word to pastors and church leaders. I think four very brief things. Uh, One is lead with integrity. Um, Pastors are not immune from being abusers and they're not immune from being abused. Uh, And so getting help when necessary is so important. Um, You are loved by the church. And if you need help to change in any way, please get it. So firstly, lead with integrity. I think, secondly, 
uh, preach with sensitivity. Um, there are some wonderful passages in the Bible on marriage, uh, wonderful passages in the Bible on relationships generally. And most of the time, we do genuinely want uh, people to be bearing with one another. Uh, we do genuinely uh, want uh, to be celebrating the proper biblical understanding of, of headship. We do genuinely uh, want people to be living uh, those Christ-like uh, sort of submissive lives in lives in the in the Philippians two kind of sense of, of humility. But actually, as you're preaching, think about how some of those words would be heard by a person in your congregation who's being abused. Now, if I'm getting grumpy uh, with uh, someone in my life uh, because they've left a sock on the floor, by all means, tell me to bear with that. That is a right and a proper thing to do. But actually, if someone is being beaten, if someone is being threatened, that is not something that they should be bearing with. And actually drawing the nuances of those things out is important. Submission is not the same as subjugation. Obedience is not the same as being so scared that you comply. You know, those, those things are a, a world apart. And so preaching with that sensitivity is important. I think thirdly, pastoring with gentleness. People just need to know that Jesus was gentle. The church is meant to be a place of gentleness. Uh, and therefore, it is safe to talk about tough things. Uh, if people think that they're going to get a, really? No, that can't be right. Uh, when they raise a the subject, they'll just clam up. They'll just be quiet. But if we can create a culture where it's safe to talk about hard things, then people will share. And gentleness is a big part of that. But I think fourthly, um, is just be passionate about keeping the flock safe. And on one level, I, most of you are already. Uh, and there's some wonderful, wonderful pastors that I've had the privilege of working alongside as we have been helping women who are struggling. Uh, and praise God for each and every one of them. Uh, but please do keep on doing that because shepherds are designed to carry the flocks uh, when their legs are broken. They're designed to keep the wolves away. And so let's be passionate about doing that in every nuance of church life. And thank you for those who are already doing all of those four things so well. Rachel and I want to thank you, Helen, for sharing with us this morning. It's been really very, very insightful, instructive and helpful. Thank you. If you found this episode helpful, Please do share it and leave a rating or a, or a review. It's been great to have you listening along with us. Thank you.